Loving Father, as we come to, uh, to your word, uh, we pray that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts and minds. Father, show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. And we ask this all to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11. I, uh, I wonder if you've ever heard of something called a death clock. Sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? But apparently you can go onto the computer, you can punch in your birthday, and then it asks you personal questions like, how often do you exercise? Do you smoke? How much alcohol do you drink? How tall are you? How heavy are you? Uh, how stressful is your job? And all that kind of information. And... You punch it all in and it gives you the date of your death, the age when you croak, and according to the computer, I'm already dead. <laughs> the rea- it's just a silly gimmick, isn't it? But the reality is that we don't have a clue. We don't know when we'll get the phone call about a loved one or the outcome of test results. And maybe one solution to our problem is just to do what Woody Allen does. You know what Woody Allen does. He says, we don't know, uh, he says, it's not that I'm afraid to die, it's just that I don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) John chapter 11 presents us with a dramatic scenario that helps us as we live life waiting in death's queue line, so to speak. And verses 1 to 6 sets the scene. 1 to 6. Uh, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 2, Lazarus now lay sick. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Verse 6, Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What do you think? Do you think Lazarus is sick? Yeah, I don't know how many times we're told there in those few verses. Lazarus is sick. Bethany is just behind the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. Um, I've told you I've been to Jerusalem, haven't I? More than a few times. Good. So we're not talking Narnia here. And Jerusalem... Uh, Jerusalem in John's Gospel is presented as a house of death, I think. John records three prior occasions when they've tried to kill Jesus in Jerusalem. And so from the house of death is the message, Jesus, the one you love, is sick. Verse 5 makes it very clear. Jesus uh, loves these guys dearly and it's obvious what they want. And so what does Jesus say? Well, we might expect Jesus to say, well, I'll be there right away. Or to click his shoes together and and transport himself like Dorothy to Jerusalem from Bethany. But what does he do? Verse 4, Jesus says, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So what is the plan? The plan is, well, death is not going to win, but instead God will be glorified. 
And so Jesus hangs around for two days and then he decides to leave. Now, what do the disciples think about that? Well, of course, they think Jesus has got it wrong. They think they're going to their death. Verse 8. But Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. See? And yet you are going back there. Translation, are you crazy? Verse 11, Jesus says, Our friend, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. See, what's the point in going and getting rocks thrown at us? Why risk death just to wake the bloke up? Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, I can't tell whether Thomas is being triumphant there. Go, yeah, let's go so we can die too. Or whether he's doom and gloom. You can choose. Uh, I'm not sure. But sure enough, death is what they find less than two miles out of Jerusalem. Verse 17, Lazarus is dead four days and death wins, it seems. Now look at the reactions. How does Martha respond to the death of her brother? Well, we heard it from the reading, didn't we? She greets Jesus outside of the village. So she's run to him, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, yeah, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, well, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will Never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And so whilst the disciples have death and glory on their mind as they return to Jerusalem, in Martha's grief, she has death and the future in her mind too. Verse 24 uh, she knows a lot. She knows Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection. The last day when, she, when Jesus returns. And so you give that a big tick, don't we? Go, go Martha. And the resurrection, of course, is a renewing or the transformation of the old body to one that is fully glorified and pure and deathless. It's a transformation that Christians experience when Christ returns on the last day, when judgment comes. And when Jesus says, your brother will rise, well, this is what Martha thinks Jesus means. It's a, it's a fine answer. But how does Mary respond? Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And what does she say? 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, we've heard that line already, haven't we? And the crowds, well, what are they? How do they respond to the event? Verse 37, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Can you see the theme here? Couldn't death have been held back if only he'd been here, Jesus? If you'd been here, couldn't it have been delayed for just a little while? And do you see the problem with their belief? It's a small view of Jesus that says that Jesus can merely stop death or merely hold death back in some way, like curing some ill. That's a small view of Jesus that says that that's, that's what he's capable of and that's it. Like he's a gifted magic man or a healer of some kind. You know, Muslims and JWs that have no issue with that belief of Jesus. So when we come to the big climatic moment of the stone being rolled aside, death still dominates. Death seems so final and unchangeable for them. That's what they're thinking. It's too late. Jesus, you are too late. Verse 39b. You can get a sense of it here with Martha. But Lord, verse 39. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been in there for four days. You think she thinks he's too late? Absolutely. Martha's saying, Jesus... He's dead. This story has ended in death. The reader is told four times that Lazarus is dead. And now Martha tells us four days he's been gone and that he probably stinks now. And so death is so final and so inevitable, there is no getting up from it. Verse 40, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine that sight? Can you imagine that sight? Can you comprehend uh, what is taking place here? Can you see God glorified in this story because his son Jesus brings life where there is otherwise death. In Jesus, we see God himself revealed to us. We see God's glory as life comes to that which was a corpse. God is glorified because we see Jesus is God come to us. And this is what was promised in verse 4. Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that 
God's Son might be glorified through it. And so we see here Jesus' authority over death. We rejoice at the words, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And we see here that Jesus is the Son of God. And he wants Mary and Martha and the disciples. He wants them to believe it. He wants us to believe it as well. So on the question of what happens when I die, we're faced with a choice. Who will we believe? So you could go with the atheists. The atheists believe that when we die, we become biological waste decomposing in the ground. You become worm food. You can believe that. It's a worldview, I think, that is devoid of hope, meaning and human dignity. Some believe in reincarnation. I was teaching this at a high school an hour that way once. And most of the kids opted for, for reincarnation. That our souls return and live on as an animal in uh, as an animal or a human. So if you've been bad, the idea is you'd probably come back as a wombat or something, right? <laughs> but then I'll put this proposition to the students, I said, well, if you're, if you're a girl and you've been really, really good, what do you think you come back as? And they have no idea. Well, what are you talking about? Well, you get promoted. What do you think you come back as? They didn't know. I said, well, the answer is you come back as a man. <laughs> they were completely grossed out. It was wonderful. Reincarnation debunked right there. Didn't suit them. And then I said to the boys, well, boys, what do you reckon? Uh, if you live, uh, apparently live a good life, what do you think you come back as? And they went, surely not a girl. I said, no, well, no, it's, you've got to be promoted. What do you get promoted as? They didn't know. And I said, okay, I've got one word for you. Moo. See, as we think about the question of death, who are we going to believe? Do we trust the founder of Buddhism? His name is Siddhartha Gautama. And he taught about death, but here's the thing about him. Do you know what the thing is? He's dead. Do we trust the prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam? Because he taught a lot about death, but here's the thing about him too. Do you know what it is? You got it, he's dead. Bertrand Russell, famous atheist. He spoke and wrote about death. Should we listen to him? Well, there's a problem with that. And you already know what it is. He's dead. They're all dead. So we have no idea whether what they say is true and reliable. But of course, this is not the case of the one we call Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, if you want to learn about maths, do you consult your English teacher? Well, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? Or if you want to learn to play the guitar, should you ask our church treasurer? No. He's not known for playing the guitar. If he is, I'll give him another job. 
You go to those who are known experts, don't you? And so on the question of life and death, to whom do we turn? And the answer is... You got it. He is the resurrection and the life. The only one who has the power of life and death in his hands. And of course we know that this story about Lazarus, this historical event, is a preview of a later event of Jesus' own resurrection that we will celebrate at Easter. Easter Sunday, not far away. And we will rejoice because the Son of God went to Jerusalem again, didn't he? But this time it was Jesus who died so that his friends would live. He died a criminal's death. He died as a penalty for our sin. Yet he rose again victorious three days later. Jesus is death's destroyer. No other God claims to have destroyed death. And he did it 2,000 years ago. He destroyed death's power. No other religion can claim that. Which means that if that doorway there, you've heard this before, but that's all right. If beyond that doorway is what we call death, time and time again we see our loved ones go through it, don't we? And our friends. And they are gone, never to return, and it is so final and heartbreaking. But Jesus is the one that went through the door and three days later, he's the one that came back again. And he defeated death. And he says to us today, you know, I've been there and I've come back. And if you want to beat death, then I'm your man. If you want an answer to the, the universal problem, the, the human problem of death, then Jesus is the solution. He is the resurrection and the life. He's not just a magic man. He's not just a healer. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good bloke. Jesus is the life-giving, sin-smashing, death-destroying super-saviour. That's it. And as we live in this world, See the bright shining light he casts over death's shadow. Fills our hearts with hope and joy and meaning and purpose. And so for the believer, Jesus is everything. This is why this story is here, that you would believe. Even today, that you would believe. And so it helps us, this story, to navigate the muck of life, doesn't it? It encourages us, encourages us to pray. We can read this and go, you know, Jesus, like Martha, I don't get everything. She got a lot. Or Mary. We don't get everything. We don't understand it all. But we believe. We believe that Jesus has got this. Whatever this is that you are facing, whether it's drought or broken relationships or looming death, whatever the case might be, see the power and control of Jesus over this broken and cursed world. We can come to Jesus and say, this world is broken as we are confronted by all of those things, knowing that he is over and above all of it. 
and that somehow he can be and he will be glorified through it. It means that as we pray, we also pray in the name of the one who is compassionate and merciful and kind and loving. The one who himself weeps at death, verse 35. The one who is troubled at this scene and the prospect of, uh, of the death of Lazarus. Which means that we have a saviour that has all his power and control, yet he identifies with us. He knows what it's like to be you. Not distant and remote. He knows exactly what it's like to weep at death. And so because all of that is true, he must shape the way we live. He must strip away our fears and he must give us great hope beyond the brokenness of this world. A hope for more, a hope for new life, a hope for life in him both now and for eternity. A hope where death has no claim but where instead God's glory shines. I think Russell Crowe was on the TV the other night. You've seen Gladiator, surely. And in that movie, he, uh, he lived in the face of death every other day, his character. And the famous line from that movie is, what we do now counts in eternity. And everyone goes, booyah! But we live in the face of death every other day. And we also stand in death's queues. And I think instead we say... What Jesus did for me at Easter, that counts for me now and into eternity. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And because he is the resurrection and the life, in our lives, death does not and it should not reign or rule us. In our lives, death is not the victor. But may the risen, victorious Lord Jesus be glorified in every way. May we live each day with our hearts lifted up to him with great joy and great thankfulness. The glorious son, the one who we call the resurrection and the life. Amen.